and welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. As measures designed to flatten the curve of the coronavirus pandemic continue to flatten the economy simultaneously, Many companies are making tough decisions to survive, including whether to pull back on expansion plans, lay off employees, rationalize SKU production, or push forward with strategies laid out pre-COVID-19 with hopes for a speedy economic recovery. These choices are difficult for anyone, but the founder and president of CFO Simplified, Larry Chester, says they are particularly challenging for founders of many small to medium-sized companies and emerging brands that likely have a strong vision and a deep passion, but lack the financial experience to forecast their cash or determine a three-month survival strategy. Drawing on his 25 years of experience as a corporate chief financial officer, during which he helped companies eliminate losses and improve financial operations and reporting, Chester explains in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast what companies need to do to create a crisis management plan, including how to protect their cash flow and how to strategically evaluate and potentially pivot a business model in an environment that has completely changed in less than a month and has no visible stabilization point in sight yet. Within days of COVID-19 first appearing in the U.S., many food and beverage businesses found their carefully laid plans for 2020 in complete upheaval. For some companies, the pandemic has been a boon, with product demand increasing exponentially, while others have found themselves in limbo with limited access to supplies and retail distribution. Acknowledging that everybody right now is very concerned and uncertain about what the future looks like, Chester advises companies of all sizes to reconsider their budget and business plans through the lens of three different scenarios and prepare to pivot as needed. What we like to work on is really different scenarios of future. So when you put together a budget, it's not just putting together one set of numbers going forward and projections, but really taking taking a look at um, three levels, taking a look at what an expected scenario would be, taking a look at what a difficult scenario would be, let's say if sales dropped or cash was not available, and taking a look at a phenomenal opportunity, what would happen if things just went crazy and all of your sales started to go even bigger than they were before. How do you anticipate those? And then what are the things that you would do in each one of those different scenarios to be able to help your company not just profit from, but help your company adapt and accommodate those changes in the different operational and financial opportunities that presented? I think the issue is, and this is something that I say to every business owner I work with, and it's something that I think about for my own business, and that is that you need to continually be creative need to continually look at the market, the products that you're selling, and your customers to determine how things are going to change and what you need to do to change to be able to meet those changing needs of the marketplace. Um, So I have uh, have a, uh, a prospect that I'm talking to. They're a startup, and he's dealing in 
high-end ice, okay, crystal clear ice. And they were primarily selling to bars and restaurants. Well, now he is not is not expecting sales to boom in that particular area, and he's moving to uh, selling crystal clear um, ice cubes, for instance, that would be bought in grocery stores by the uh, by the consumer. Um, there's another company I'm talking to that is starting out selling frozen food, uh, frozen um, food product in a prepackaged form to restaurants for them to use as raw materials in making their meals. Well, now people aren't going to restaurants anymore. So her business is booming considerably because she's now not selling to the restaurants anymore because that market is dried up, literally. But now the consumer, rather than going to the restaurant, is looking at buying prepared or partially prepared products that they can cook in their homes. I think it's a matter of taking a look at that new market shift and saying creatively, what do we have? What is our core competency? What is it that we do best? And how do we take that and make that most effective in the marketplace? And I think sometimes having somebody like a CFO who is an outside um, expert in business and has creatively used uh, their skill and experience and ability to help guide other businesses going forward um, to help the business owner find new avenues and new approaches. I think that's an important service that we provide. Recognizing that not every company that could use help from an experienced CFO can afford it right now, Chester explained that over the next two months, CFO Simplified will donate its services to help as many as 80 small to mid-sized companies create a 90-day crisis management plan so that they can not only survive the pandemic, but hopefully emerge from it stronger than when they were when it began. Every business right now is conserving cash. Um, they're concerned about whether or not they're going to have enough money to be able to cover their rent, cover their payroll, certainly cover their overhead expenses. Um, and so a lot of companies, a lot of small to mid-sized companies, even companies that are in the 20, 30, 50 million dollar range, um, don't have the skilled executive staff that is used to managing the financial wherewithal of a business. Um, and so what we've decided to do was take the staff that I have, and I have five full-time CFOs working for me, and have each one of them devote one day a week to each of two companies to spend a full day with that company, going over their financials, interviewing the business owner, talking to the management team, taking a look at what their business plan is, and helping them put together a plan or a program that allows them to be stronger 90 days from now than they are today. And this is totally at no cost to the business owner. And this is totally at, with, with no expectation of anything on the back end other than being able to help them put a plan in place with an executive who understands business and has gone through crisis management before and allows them to get that guidance to be able to put a plan together that will make them stronger now so that they can be in a better position 90 days from now. Chester explained that the companies that take him up on his offer 
or work with him in another capacity can expect an intensive deep dive into their business operations in a flexible format. We're very, very flexible in how we work with clients. There are some clients that we work with two to three days a week and other clients that we work with one day a month. Um, obviously, if we're working more intensely with a client, whether that be one day a week uh, or more, we're able to have a more direct impact on what's going on. But, you know, I understand that that gets to be costly for a lot of businesses and a lot of businesses are very careful right now about cash flow. So when we start with a business, the first thing we do is we spend two days doing an intensive deep dive into the business operations. We look at not only the financial work, uh, financial reports, their relationship with their bank, with their accounting, um, their outside accountant, but also looking at their operational workflow, looking at um, how their work processes, their paperwork flow internally, how long it takes them to invoice, how long it takes them to collect cash, how long it takes them to present services to their clients, um, the efficiency of their staff in some areas, their profit margins, their turn on inventory, if they have inventory products they're selling, what their relationship is with their suppliers, uh, their payables and receivables. Really, it's a, a very intensive look, uh, two days of analysis of looking at their business. And then we write a 10 to 12-page report that really breaks down each one of those functional areas and lists areas that we found where there could be improvement and gives them a game plan on what they could do to improve each one of those areas. What I like to say is we'd look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, the things that you're doing well, and we'll tell you those things, the things that you should probably change, but they're not killing you, you can change those over time. And then the ugly things are the things that you really need to change because it's putting your company at risk or costing you money. Um, and those are the things we concentrate on in terms of guiding a company to improve their operations and make things more efficient. And as you make a company more efficient, then you end up with more com more money coming to the bottom line as well. And then while we're doing that, we start doing the kinds of things that a CFO normally does, which is looking at uh, key performance indicators, KPIs, um, making sure the management team is evaluating the work that they're doing on an ongoing basis and improving, looking at their insurance programs, their health insurance, their benefits programs, looking at their hiring policies, looking at uh, their IT system and making sure they're using it efficiently, really being a key member of the management team. And in many cases, we sit in on every single management meeting as the senior financial officer for the company helping them and guiding them forward um, on a month-to-month -month basis. CFO Simplified often identifies about eight areas for improvement after carefully reviewing businesses' operations. But Chester says the top two areas that companies must consider when creating a crisis management plan are one, cash flow, and two, how to adapt their business model. I think if there are two things that I'm going to focus on here, the first thing is cash flow. How much cash do they have? How do they need to spend it? What are the things they can put off? What are the things they absolutely need to pay for right now? Um, and we have experience in talking to suppliers, talking to banks, um, looking at particular situations, saying what can we defer? What, can, what do we absolutely need to pay now? Um, as a means of uh, conserving cash, because certainly we don't know what's coming up down the road. So the question is, how do you make sure that the company has enough cash to be able to not just survive, but to be able to grow 
and to be able to stabilize themselves. According to Chester, the simplest answer is two-prong. The first is to open clear lines of communication with lenders, and the second is to collect as much money that they are owed as possible. When you're dealing with anybody who you owe money to, okay, so you're talking about a bank, you're talking about a lender of any sort, the last thing you want is to have them be surprised by whatever happens. Uh, As I've said over and over again, and I say this to bankers and they laugh and agree with me, but there's only one thing a banker hates more than bad news, and that's surprises. Um, Just as you need to plan for what you're doing, you need to make the bank aware of what your plan is and what you need to do to be able to accomplish that plan so that they can help you succeed. No bank, you know, a bank has an ultimate financial interest in your business. I remember talking to a business owner once who said, the bank's not giving me enough money to operate my business. The only thing they're concerned about is getting paid back. Well, yeah. I mean, of course that's all they're interested in is getting paid back. But the thing is, they want you to be successful long haul. If you fail as a business and they need to liquidate your business, to sell your product and your equipment and everything else, they're only going to get a small portion of what they've loaned you back on the back end. They're, they're not in the garage sale business. They're in the business of loaning money. So the best thing you can do is to make them aware of where you are and how much you need, how long you're going to need it for, how you're going to pay it back, and what you're going to do in the future to keep from having this happen again. It's being able to tell the story because the story is what sells. You know, people talk about marketing and selling, telling the story to your clients, to your prospects, to the people in the marketplace. Well, you've got to do the same thing with the bank or any lender that you work with. You've got to be able to tell them the story so that they have confidence that you know what you're doing and that you're going to be able to move forward. And by the same token, the other thing you've got to do is make sure that the people who owe you money are able to pay it. And you've got to be in a position where you can't be embarrassed to call them and say, hey, you need to pay me what you owe me. And if you can't pay it all today, so give me half of it today and the other half of it next week. I remember working for a client eight to 10 years ago who had over a million and a half dollars in accounts receivable that was starting to stretch out 60, 90 days. And I said, look, we need to hire somebody to do collections. And he said, but we don't have the cash to be able to go out and hire somebody to do that. I said, well, I can hire somebody to do this for $40,000 a year. And I put her on staff and within eight weeks, she had collected $750,000. I mean, more than paid for her salary. And during succeeding 60 days, we collected the rest of the money that had been outstanding. You, you can't be afraid or embarrassed to go out and call people and tell them that they owe you money and that you expect to get paid for it. Now, I'm not saying you need to be nasty and be a collector, but that old tale of the squeaky oil gets the grease is, is not a fallacy. It's not a fairy tale. If you call somebody, they would much rather pay you the money and get a call every week asking when they were going to get paid. So those are two things that I think are very important when companies are dealing short cash flow to really make decisions that help them succeed going forward. 
Once cash is flowing again, Chester said that executives should be both optimistic about the future, but also realistic about what they can and cannot afford to do in the next 13 weeks. The most important thing is to have a positive outlook for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you have a negative outlook towards your business, there's no way that you can come up with creative ideas to help you succeed going forward. And the other side of that is, if you have a negative outlook, how is your staff, how are your employees going to feel positive about the work that they're doing and be able to work efficiently and positively to move forward in the work that they're doing? So outlook is certainly the most important thing. And the second thing is really understanding cash and how it works. It's not a matter of being in a position where you sit here and say, well, I've got to pay my rent next week, so I'm not going to pay any payables this week, so I have enough money to pay rent next week. You've got to plan farther than that. You know, the classic cash flow forecast in a spreadsheet the CFO or any financial planner would put together is 13 weeks. You know, 13 is this big scary number, you know, 13 is bad news. Well, 13 weeks is a quarter of the year. All right. So that's why it's a 13 week cash flow forecast. And what you do is you plan out when your payments are going to be made, when your rent is due, when your payrolls due, when your payables are due, when your insurance payments are due, when you expect your cash to come in. And then you can plan out, well, look, we can only pay this much this week. We'll have to pay that much next week. And that allows you to call your suppliers and say, look, I know I owe you $2,500 this week, but I don't have enough cash to pay you this week. I'll have more cash next week. I'll have even more the week after that. Let me make four payments of $600 a week to you to cover that $2,400. What are they going to say? No. They're not going to say no. You've put a plan together that shows that you're responsible in planning your cash going forward. That plan is critical to people feeling good about the expectation of working with you going down the road. And also it takes the pressure off of you because you've got an agreement from them of what they're expecting. And you've put a plan together that's realistic to be able to accomplish that payment over time. That gives you confidence. It allows you to move forward and think about other things that need to be done that you can think of proactively, positively, because you've taken care of this payment problem and cash flow problem that you thought you you had. Now you've got a solution there. Beyond reinstating cash flow, Chester says that the second most important component of a crisis management plan is being prepared and knowing when to pivot a business model. So for instance, I was talking to a restaurant owner the other day who said to me, I used to have a full restaurant for lunch and dinner every day. He said, what do I do now? He said, I have curbside pickup, but nobody's coming driving out here to pick up at the restaurant. So I talked to him about putting together a delivery service where they would literally deliver to everybody in the local area. Now that sounds rather simplistic, but that's a fairly expensive thing to do. And yet, if you go to a company like Grubhub or Uber Eats or uh, DoorDash or any of those, they charge 30% of the restaurant tab to deliver product. Well, if you hire somebody and put them in a car and drive them around, that's not going to be 30% of the cost of a meal. 
especially if you start to get the word out. So that is one way of accommodating and changing their business model so that they can strategically serve their existing customer base and and still serve um, the products that they've been serving. Now, maybe they'll serve slightly different products or deliver them slightly differently, and they'll be in a tighter geographic area than they were because if they have to drive long distance, obviously there's an issue of quality of food during that delivery, and there's an issue of how far they're willing to drive. But it's a matter of strategically looking at their business and how it changes. So, for instance, the food manufacturer that I was talking to you about who was dealing with companies originally who were servicing the restaurant market, now she's in a position where their sales have literally jumped um, five five times in the last 30 days. And so she's got to sit down and figure out, what do I need to do? How fast can I grow? Is the packer and the shipper that I'm dealing with right now able to handle this increase in business? Can I sustain that increase in business? And how do I hold on to it as I move forward? And what does that mean in terms of the kinds of products that I can sell and ship to an individual at their home? So those are all part of the conversation of sitting down and understanding what the profit margin is of each of these different directions, what the cost is of being able to move into that particular area strategically, and then what is the profit that's going to be gained from that, and how do we sustain that moving forward? Well, all of this can sound intimidating, especially when you're already under pressure from navigating a completely foreign situation. Chester reassures entrepreneurs that it's okay to ask for help. No one will think less of a founder or CEO that acknowledges they don't have all the answers, but is willing to reach out to find them. I mean, I'll talk to anybody anytime about any aspect of their business. If they want to hire us, great. If they don't want to hire us and I can give them some suggestions that are helpful, that's just as well. That's great as well. Um, But if they just sit at home worrying about what they're going to be able to do, that doesn't help anybody. So don't be afraid to reach out. We've got an 800 number. We've got... um, you know, a website, uh, we've got email, you know, just reach out to us. We're more than happy to talk. For those listeners who would like to take CFO Simplified up on its offer, they can learn more at www.cfosimplified.com, which also has a blog with additional tips and strategies for building a better business. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.